Berry Football Club passed on from the EFL at 11.07pm on Tuesday the 27th of August 2019. Surrounded by loved ones and members of its family at its Gig Lane home, the 134-year-old institution was kicked out of the Football League, where it has resided for more than 120 years, after months and years of willful neglect and mismanagement by those who were supposed to act as custodians and guardians of a famous and valued community institution. Berry FC leaves behind thousands of supporters, all searching for an explanation as to why their beloved club was allowed to disintegrate in front of their eyes, despite their best efforts. Tuesday was a black day for English football and its supporters. Whoever your team is, we all share Berry's pain and we should all hold to account those responsible for allowing this to happen. Expulsion doesn't yet mean liquidation, but it's almost impossible to see any other outcome. This is the Totally Football League show, reflecting on the day the EFL lost its totality and 72 became 71. Hello, listener. We're glad to have your company, although the mood is sombre here today. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. I've got Sam Parkin, Adrian Clark, and Joe Crilly with me. We will, of course, discuss all the latest goings-on from across the EFL in today's show, but clearly there's only one place we can start. Berry FC expelled from the EFL after their proposed takeover collapsed. It's the first time this has happened to a football league club since Maidstone in 1992. In terms of what it means for League One, the EFL has done what it does best, namely release a statement. League One will now comprise of 23 clubs for the remainder of the campaign and relegation places in the division reduced to three, which will result in a full complement of 24 clubs in 2020-2021. A discussion will take place with EFL clubs on the consequential impact on League Two when clubs next meet in September 2019. Clearly, Berry's demise has happened gradually over a period of years, but how did it all unravel for the Shakers over the last few days? Let's take you back. It's Friday night, minutes before the midnight deadline. Berry were given a lifeline. The owner, Steve Dale, says he's agreed a deal to sell. Statement time again. The EFL has this evening received notification that Steve Dale has accepted an offer from CNN Sporting Risk for the sale of Berry FC. Suddenly there was hope. Were CNN Sporting Risk the solution, the saviour? Fast forward to Tuesday, the deadline for Berry and Bolton to prove to the EFL that they're financially sustainable is 5pm. Don't tell me it's over, this club's a lifetime friend. Don't tell me it's over, I'm buried till the end. Fans are cleaning up gig lane tickets and the programme are being printed for Saturday's match against Doncaster. There's optimism that the club will continue. But at 3.40pm, news comes through that CNN Sporting Risk, the potential buyers of Bury, were unable to proceed with the takeover following a period of due diligence. Meanwhile, Sky Sports, with all the sensibility of Donald Trump at a feminism convention, put a countdown timer on the screen because garishness equals ratings. 4.20pm, Berry released a statement reminding fans not to trespass on club grounds. It seemed the jig was up, and at 5pm the deadline passed. It wasn't until 11.07pm that the news was confirmed. Having considered all available options, including a number of later expressions of interest provided to the EFL, the EFL board has unanimously determined, with enormous regret, that Berry's membership be withdrawn. Meanwhile, Bolton were plummeting towards their own crisis, as on Saturday night it seemed their number was up too. They've since been given 14 days to avoid the same fate as Berry. Adrian, the immediate reaction when you heard the news about Oh, Barry? just desperately sad, wasn't it? It was awful. You hate to see it. We have seen it in the past. It's a long, long time since Maidstone were liquidated, I think back in 1992. I remember it. It's amazing, I guess, that, that no other club has, has fallen in the same manner until yesterday but no you just feel 
incredibly sad for the for the people involved in the club, the, the people that work there that have lost their jobs, the fans who now know won't know what to do for the rest of the season. Hopefully, there'll be a Phoenix club, but but yeah, it's it, it's awful news, and I think there are a lot of people to blame for this. It's it's not just the EFL, it's not just Steve Dale, it's not just the previous owner. I think a culmination of 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 mismanagement and neglect has led to this uh, this awful news. Sam, I don't know about you, but I feel like I was a bit complacent about it. Every week we've been talking about it and you just kind of assume, well, it'll get sorted yeah. in the end. Somebody will mm. come in. Yeah, completely agree. Didn't think it would get to this level. Can only echo what Adrian said. The, the people at the, the ground, uh, the staff, the players, the younger players who were maybe established at Bury, 18, 19-year-olds. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to walk into another professional club. Far from it. The experienced boys like Neil Dans, Stephen Dawson, who's obviously we've, we've heard from in the last week or so, that might be the last league football that they've played. But more than anything, the supporters. I think football clubs can be used as escapism from trauma in everyday life. It brings people in those type of communities together. At five years old, my dad took me to QPR. I went to every home game. I cried when they lost. I walked to school with my head held high when they won. It was the biggest thing in my life. So it's really sad to think about those young kids and the older supporters who've been going for 50 years, of course, but the young people who support their local club, hopefully there'll be a Phoenix club like Adrian says, but it's really not a nice thing to think about if they're going to have to go and support someone else. It's not what we do in football. Gavin has asked us via At The Totally Show, what does expelled by the EFL exactly mean? They got kicked out of League One, but can't they just start again with non-league football and play their way back into the EFL if they get their finances back on track and everything? The the problem is, Adrian, Mm. getting their finances back on track is the big issue that they've dealt with. And we're talking millions of pounds that they need to come up with that you're not going to regenerate in revenue by starting again at the bottom of the no, football period. No, it's in- incredibly complicated. I'll leave people that are, are better versed in that side of things to explain more. But no, I think you probably do have to literally start again. We have seen it with with, with clubs like Wimbledon and, and Newport and others that, that have come back just as strong almost. So... But it's a long process and I don't think that that's much consolation for Barry supporters now, especially those. It is, the, it is the, actually the children that I feel really sorry for here because they're the ones that really look forward to going with their parents potentially every weekend to go and watch their, their team. And they're, they're not going to have that, not, not for at least a season. But I, I'm confident, given what's happened to other clubs in this situation in the past, Chester City as well were, were one another, weren't they, that, that you can start again. Even if it is down the non-league pyramid, the journey back will be a long one, but hopefully a successful one. But um, yeah, right now it's it, yeah, it's just really depressing. Lots of people calling for the Premier League to have done more. Uh, to clarify, it's against the rules to give other clubs money. But as Henry Winter points out in the Times, the elite clubs could do more in terms of playing more friendlies in pre-season at local EFL clubs, providing huge windfalls for the likes of Berwick. Something, Sam, that they do in the Bundesliga quite a lot. The big teams there, if there's teams in lower leagues in financial trouble, Bayern Munich will go and play a game there and send their first team. That seems like quite an easy fix. Yeah, but I think it does go on. I think I'm right in saying someone played at, at Dagenham last season, uh, either West Ham or Crystal Palace, when they needed a little bit of support. So I think it, it does happen. The most startling facts and, and figures, statistics that I saw yesterday was actually on the debate last night about the amount of, of revenue at clubs across all three EFL divisions 
that goes on wages. It was astonishing. 2017, 18, 106% of the revenue at championship clubs went on the wages. I mean, you know, if that's not uh, going to set alarm bells ringing, I don't know what it is. So it's been spiraling out of control for a number of years. And obviously it's reached the the teams in the lowest tier in the EFL because the rewards are so great if you can get to the promised land and these owners want to come in and be successful and spend yeah. what they haven't got. Yeah, I think that's what the, the previous owner, Stuart Day, had done, wasn't it? He'd, he'd basically wanted to pump a load of money in but didn't have it. So then he, he took money out of his property companies and then took out, he was allowed to convert that into shares, which then came back to buy him when, when his companies that he borrowed the money from for from the way for the wages went bust, so therefore the the money was no longer there to pay to pay the salary. So it, that can't be allowed, and and I think that that is where the EFL have let themselves down here. They've uh, they've basically buried their heads in the sand. Thought as long as these salaries are being paid, we we kind of almost don't mind how it's happening. There needs to be much more stringent controls on on salaries, and if that means lowering the wages of lower league footballers so be it because we'd rather have clubs than than have players that are that are earning money that their you know their employers can't afford to pay them and and that's been a big issue here right for more on this we're going to speak to rob harris from the associated press he joins us now to tell us what happens next Okay, Rob, well, this has been coming uh, with Barry, but I guess many of us uh, hoped that it wouldn't happen. How did things get this bad? I mean, it seems a succession of mismanagement and bad decision-making and questions around the EFL in terms of accepting new owners and how much they actually managed to and did or did not scrutinise them and assess the long-term business plans. I mean, on the more immediate front, how did it happen this week? And I think questions will linger about could Barry have been given more time to, to find a rescue package? Stevens tweeted us to ask, what did the owners before Steve Dale do to the club and, and how can a man who has no interest in football in Dale get to own one? It, it doesn't seem to make much sense. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing where Steve Dale bought the club for a pound last year, which some say raises questions in itself. The fact that there was this heavy debt attached to the club and what we hear then in recent weeks is he says he didn't even realise there was a football club in Bury before he took control of it which then raises questions actually although sometimes the EFL doesn't have maybe a bountiful number of own, potential owners of a club do they need to be start to have some sort of test as it were to actually just assess do they know the area do they really know it? do they really feel for the area do they know the club and the team they're buying into just to quiz them in terms of their actual rightness as owners and rather than just are they disqualified as directors uh, do they you know do, do they meet those narrow requirements because we're also obviously understanding the fact that uh, Steve Dale didn't need to offer a long-term commitment he could actually even fund the club going forward into in, into more than you know a, a season and that's uh, obviously left it uh, in this unsustainable position and you know ultimately sort of weighed down by the uh, debts and the remortgaging of, of, of the stadium how much blame do you put onto the EFL for this is it kind of 50 50 between them and the owners yeah, I mean, the EFL are sort of now suggesting there are things to be learned from it, calling it their darkest day. I mean, I think they need to be heavily scrutinised over the process, point by point over 
they accepted Steve Dale as the owner and also just what were these um, offers that were coming in? I mean, if you look back over the last weekend, the fact that they said they were in exclusive talks with CNN Capital uh, Sporting Risk, which meant they were talking to no other party. Then the moment that collapsed, it meant you know there was no seemingly other viable option to get a takeover completed before the five o'clock deadline. Given the parlor state of things and how it can't have been a surprise to them about some of the, the debts attached to the club. The question is whether this should actually be engaged with as many parties as possible rather than focusing on the on, on the one exclusive party. And then ultimately it comes back to who, who, who they're approving as owners and and how rigorously they are assessing you know their suitability. And then beyond that is the very sustainability matters around the clubs that have waste of revenue ratios that's so high. Rob, have you got any idea what this will mean for the, the current staff, the current playing staff? Will they continue to be paid a portion through the CBA or is that that for them? Will they be having to look for new employers straight away? Well, the business still exists. It's not been liquidated. So obviously there's a process in terms of recovering any finances that are owed. The PFA have stepped in to try to help but it is a uh, I mean it's I mean it is a human story at the heart of it the fact that you have these players who and coaches who are effectively without employment in the sense of the you know there's no prospects of immediately playing and, and what do they do in terms of so many players trying to search for new clubs and so and you know we've heard about their personal situations in terms of having mortgages to pay and um, perhaps given often at the top end of the game we have this distance between the players and uh, and the fans we can forget particularly lower down the fact uh, you know it, it, it's, it's not a wash with money in terms of, of wages and then beyond that obviously we have the impacts on the local uh, business in the community as well Oh it's absolutely awful do you think it might come to a point where the government has to step in and and oversee and make sure that the operations of, of football clubs, which are institutions in local communities, just to make sure that the operations are being done properly. We, we see in business, particularly in the financial industry, auditors constantly working with companies to make sure that they're doing things correctly. Can the EFL work with the government to set up a, an independent body moving forwards that just regulates and checks that everything is being done to avoid something yeah. like this happening again? Yeah, and the, and the Premier League talked after the Portsmouth administration of their powers subsequently to be able to sort of step into clubs to uh, the sign of danger. And you see it as well on the international side of things with FIFA. They will put something called a normalisation committee into a country to effectively take over the running. You've got UEFA doing it now in Ireland with the FIA, given all their uh, problems. And a, a, and a bigger picture, you've got FIFA who've gone and basically taken over the whole of African football to run it at the moment, uh, CAF. So, you know, we see examples from across the game where there should be an ability for a governing body just to effectively step in and there are enough signs looming you know in recent months and yet obviously Steve Dale was the man they still had to deal with and many you know questioning his um, you know upworthiness in all this Rob Harris there from the AP. And meanwhile, less than half an hour down the M61 from Gig Lane, Bolton Wanderers have been given 14 days to prove to the EFL that they have the funds to complete the season or to find a buyer or they too will be expelled. Um, Joe, 
You're supposed to be our betting expert, but really, you're our Bolton expert. Uh, you retweeted this stark reminder on how Bolton was run by Ken Anderson. Anderson was the 12th highest paid director in English football during his time at Bolton. He paid himself £525,000 and his son £125,000 for consultancy services, while staff went unpaid and food banks were used. Yeah, the, the fit and proper persons test, not really worth its name. No, not fit, fit for purpose. The club has been on a slide since leaving the Premier League. Ken Anderson came in and it was, I think we all, all watched the debate last night and a phrase that was used on there was, it was just like putting a sticking plaster over a, a stab wound. It was it was a, a stay of execution basically and that's what Bolton Wanderers now have again, 14 days. They avoided being expelled from the league yesterday as Berry unfortunately didn't. But I have no confidence that anything will come of it. The 14-day period doesn't give Bolton Wanderers another 14 days because the club could be placed into liquidation at any point. There is no money. The well has run dry at Bolton Wanderers and if a deal isn't done sooner rather than later, we can't wait. We can't afford to wait the 14 days. If a deal isn't done sooner rather than later, then Bolton will cease to exist and talk of AFC Bolton Wanderers as well as AFC Berry will be very much at the forefront of everybody's minds. So what, what happened with this Football Ventures takeover? You, you mentioned about the hotel being a sticking point last week. Was that, was that what proved to, to kill the deal? Yeah, and, and they're, they're still there, apparently. They're, they're still working on making a deal happen. I think, as you said with Berry, they had one party and that was it. The administrators have identified Football Ventures as the consortium to take Bolton Wanderers forward, and they have focused all of their attentions on this deal. And so now that we are approaching hurdles as deadlines loom it's becoming more and more difficult to to see a way over the line because we are focusing only on them apparently if these signatures get done the deal will be done and Bolton Wanderers will be under the control of football ventures is it too late to consider a fan ownership model for Bolton because we saw it with bigger clubs obviously Barry is, is a smaller club than, than Bolton we've seen it with Portsmouth it's worked pretty well for them thus far is that is that has there been no talk of that Back when Ken Anderson took over the club, the Bolton Wanderers Supporters Trust was also set up with a view to perhaps taking over the club. What happened then is Eddie Davis wrote off the immense debt that had been built up by the club during the Premier League years and, and more importantly, the Football League years, the Championship years, when had players like Keith Andrews on £40,000 a week in the Championship. So the debt was written off by Eddie Davis, but in the interim period, the three years since... Ken Anderson has racked up even more debt. So the Bolton Wanderers Supporters Trust going in to a relatively debt-free club would have been viable. I think a Supporters Trust going into a club that has been run into the ground and has debts, again, amounting up to £20-25 million now, I think would have been uh, or will be a step too far. I think I have a lot of good things to say about fan ownership, uh, having been... A, a Chester fan as well, a Chester City fan and, and now currently a Chester fan. But that is in the future. If the club ceases to exist, if you're starting from a level point, day dot, you get the board, you sort the board up, you build the club up from uh, from the ground upwards and it can be done and teams can be successful with that in mind. So maybe that is what, certainly what I would look at Berry doing and what I would hope that they would do to, to get themselves back. And it would certainly be something that I would get myself involved in were the same thing to happen to Bolton Wanderers. Man, that was all pretty depressing. Um, we'll have more on League One later, but we're going to spend some time looking at the rest of the news from the EFM. 
You're listening to the Totally Football League Show in association with William Hill. Headlines from Tuesday's second round League Cup action are as follows. Crawley Creek past Norwich. Colchester put out Palace on pens. The two-time European champions obliterate the no-time European champions on Trent's side. And Nathan Jones breathes a huge sigh of relief as Stoke beat Leeds after a shootout thanks to none other than Jack Butler. More games tonight, Wednesday, when the draw for round three will be made. Just briefly on that, Adrian... Crawley the standout result there it's tight between them and Colchester really yeah I think they're both excellent obviously Colchester probably beat a stronger side Crystal Palace put out a lot of big guns so that is an incredible performance from Colchester United who have been pretty tight at the back they've got a defender out at the moment I know Harry Pell's not not playing so that's a it's a really strong performance from them so so congratulations as for as for Crawley it's Bezlebal, I mean, this 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 kid is. We didn't know a lot about him, did we? From Birmingham, he'd had some fleeting substitute appearances for for the Blues, but he's he's come in and hit the ground running at Crawley again. He's the hero, and uh, yeah, that's that's a wonderful wonderful scoreline because it's you, you can look at team sheets and say, oh, look, they didn't beat the first team, but these these reserves at the Premier League sides they're very strong and, and, the, and the quality of the individual players is, is exceptionally high so so those are two terrific results and the, the quality of their pens Sam Colchester yeah. they scored all five of them yeah, Sky have come in for a bit of grief uh, after yesterday's uh, proceedings but the uh, soccer special show last night was brilliant actually when all those games were coming to an end I think there was four penalty shootouts going on at the same time and and yeah Luke Norris and Nublay and players like that you know good quality players in the lower levels but um, there's pressure and it's a big night for those lads I played in, in those games you know first couple of rounds of the, the League Cup against Premier League opposition you're desperate to try and win and yes even your manager will rotate the squad to a degree but you're still desperate to get one over a, a big cheese so no brilliant and and the, the lad at Crawley Gary Rowett spoke really Nicely about him on the on the Quest show a few weeks ago. I had him as a kid at Birmingham and said that he was one that he anticipated going to a lower league club and maybe getting back to championship level. So we'll have to keep an eye on him. Good on him. They'll be awaiting the draw with interest as we all will. To the championship then. And in the championship, this is what's happened since last we met. Swansea are having their best start to a league season since 1978, finding themselves second in the table to Leeds by a mere goal difference of one. This weekend, we'll surely sort that out more on that momentarily. Meanwhile, Huddersfield still don't have a manager and have yet to win a match. And Forest play football, really good football. Total, every player touches the ball before the goal football. Promotion winning, we're going to be Premier League again football. I've got a bit carried away. Standout match from this weekend, Stoke nil, Leeds three. Days before they met in the Cup, Stoke and Leeds faced off in the Potteries. League points, definitely the priority over Cup success for these two. And it was Leeds who cruised to all three of them. Hernandez, lovely ball. If Dallas can get there, he will get there. Oh, that was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. It's dangerous. It's 2-0. Jenny Arioski. United firmly in the driving seat. And the way this is going, you'd not bet against Leeds getting more goals. Hernandez picking out a glorious pass again. Alioski, the angle tight. Federici with the save. Bamford! Curtains for Stoke. And that wraps it up. 
We'll give them their due shortly. But as for Stoke, ever since Caroline put the curse on them last season, they've stunk out the championship. Nathan Jones has already gone nuclear in digging out his players in public. Clark, is it too dramatic to say that that shootout win on Tuesday saved his job? <sighs> I wouldn't have liked to have thought that it was all based on a on a Carabao Cup game. I think maybe the the weekend fixture may be defining for Nathan. They've got to hold their nerve here. I think Stoke City they, they've they've employed a head coach with a proven track record, someone that said he would change the culture, and he's only had twenty seven league games. I think to to change that culture, it's not really long enough. I guess you know the issue is he's won very few, just four of those twenty seven games. And ultimately, managers are judged on that. So no, uh, yeah, he he is under pressure for his job, no doubt about it. But but the players are letting him down with individual errors, aren't they? Organisation. What I will say is that that Leeds at the weekend they're good enough to open up anyone in the championship with their their, their sharpness, their speed of movement, their quality. So I, I think he deserves another, another couple of games to to try and get the structure of that side right. It is defensively at the moment that they're, they're all over the gaff, which is strange because at the end of last season, it was completely the opposite. He tightened them up. Almost every time they played, Stoke City were goalless. They're involved in so many goalless draws at the moment. He would kill for a goalless draw, wouldn't he, Nathan Jones? It's, um, yeah, the, the defensive side of, of their play has been, has been woeful. And that starts, Sam, with... Jack Butland, who yeah. scored his penalty last night. He also made a mistake in the League Cup tie, but was dropped for this match. And I kind of feel like he's symptomatic of what has gone wrong with Stoke in that as a club and some of their players just seem unable to adjust to the fact that they are in the Championship now and not the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. and Nathan Jones has been open that there was some of the players didn't want to be there, didn't want to be playing in the championship. And I think that was the case under Gary Rowett as well. So the players have to take some of the responsibility. We've seen the likes of Berahino and Afobi move on, but there still seems to be some members of that squad that don't want to be at the football club. I think he was in a really tricky position because I was critical of the diamond uh, at Charlton, certainly defensively in the setup. So he did change you know, tinkered with the system for that game against Leeds, but he had success doing that last year in the corresponding fixture. So I can understand why he did it, but maybe I'm going to be a little bit contradictory going back on what I said a few weeks ago. I think he's got a way of playing, Nathan Jones, and I think if he coaches the players, the players should be good enough to adapt. And I thought there was enough signs in that performance at Charlton and at Derby for him to persist. I know it's really tricky uh, and you can credit him for changing and trying to do, so do something different uh, or you can, you can applaud him for sticking with the diamond. It's very difficult, but um, I still believe that he'll get it right and I think it would be absolutely criminal for them to even contemplate changing at the moment. I think it would be a disaster. We've seen what it was like under Mark Hughes. We saw that Gary Rowett couldn't get a tune out of those players. He needs to be given a little bit more time. As for Leeds, Clark, he only oh. dropped two points all season and that was against Forrest, so no shame in that. Uh, what, what, if anything, makes you think that this season will have a happier end than Leeds? Um, I'm not s- still entirely convinced there'll be a happy ending. I look at the bench the other day and it, outside of the guys that, that he brought on, you're looking at, at young, sort of unproven players that that a lot of Leeds United fans would, wouldn't know. Obviously, Nketiah's on the bench at the moment, and Helda Costa and, and Shackleton, the other guys, I don't really know the names. So I, I still feel as if they're a little bit light 
in terms of the numbers. But you can't argue with the quality of the football. It's absolutely breathtaking at times. They just look really fit, really sharp. The triangles are fantastic. The the new system is great, isn't it? With it with Phillips in between the two centre halves. I still think, and we'll probably get to the the looking ahead to the game with, with Swansea. I still think against sides that that have got a bit about them that can look after the ball themselves for long periods and not allow Leeds to dictate. I think that they can stretch leads in those wide areas because when you've got these back, a back three, particularly container centre-halves that aren't natural full-backs, if you've got good wingers that can get into those channels down the sides, I think you can still hurt Leeds United. So I, I, I'm saying don't get too carried away, but so far they've been brilliant. Sam, I wanted to ask you about Patrick Bamford because I, I see him as a bit of a kindred spirit with you, kind of nomadic career up until this point. He's only 25, including loans, leads the ninth different club that he's played for. Obviously, he had problems with injury last season, but does it feel like he's finally found a home, four in five at the start of the season for him? Yes. You only have to look at the opening day performance at Bristol City where, like probably a lot of people, I watch him very closely because of the scrutiny he's been under. I thought his all-round game was exceptional. Not just getting into goal-scoring positions, but getting them up the pitch, running into channels and using his physique to do the ugly side of the game, win throw-ins and win free kicks and give the defenders a bit of respite. And he's taken his chances as well this season. I think it was a fantastic finish the other day in a different setup, as Adrian spoke about, with Harrison playing off him the other day. So... I think they've got a very clever manager and within that you need someone to get you that return of goals. I think he could be the man, especially now you've got Enketio who's obviously hot on his heels now pushing him. That makes a difference though. I mean, you must have been there in your career where you were the first choice and then they signed someone in your position. Gives you that little little gel. I suppose it can affect players in different ways, can't it? You can maybe get get nervous at the prospect of losing your place or it can inspire you. It seems to have had that effect on him. Yeah, I think when things were going well for me in my career, even on the training ground when you got someone in, yeah. even if it was for a month's loan, three months loan, you, I wanted to show them that I was <laughs> the, the top dog in training, let alone the matches. So, yeah, you need that healthy it's edge in every squad. You. As a footballer, it's better. Even though sometimes you might not feel that way, oh, no, he's signing someone in my position. It's actually for your own good Definitely. because you need people. You need to be pushed all the time in football. And I, yeah, I don't think last year, once once Roof was out, he, he was really had too much competition. Well, Leeds got a tough run of games coming up. Swansea at home at the weekend. Then a derby at Barnsley. Repeated the playoff semi against Derby at Elland Road. A trip to Charlton. Then West Brom at home. Yikes. And for the visuals of what we've been talking about, then it's nice and simple. All you need is the EFL on Quest, and here's where you can find it. Freeview Channel 12, FreeSat 167, Sky 144, Virgin 217, or online at questod.co.uk. And we'll particularly recommend the on-demand option, which fits into your working and footballing week nicely. Looking ahead to the weekend, then we mentioned Leeds against Swansea there. Uh, let's look at it from a Swans perspective flapping their palmates wildly under the water whilst appearing serene on the surface, threatening to break a man's arm, trying not to get eaten by the Queen, etc. Uh, Steve Cooper's had uh, a brilliant <laughs> start. Light leaves have only dropped a point. Uh, given that he made his name as a youth coach, Sam, with Liverpool and England, it's interesting that he's got a tune out of two of Swansea's more experienced misfits in, in Borja Baston and, uh, and Andre Ayew. So he's kind of showing that adaptability that you know he can work with players of various experience levels. Definitely best start for 41 years. And I think when you just look at it pre-season, losing Potter, who we were so impressed with last season, and James and McBurney, I mean, you wouldn't have had them in the reckoning at all. So a credit to, to what he's done. 
It's a pretty set system, the 4-2-3-1 that they play. Selena seems to be getting that consistency in his game. Old teammate of mine, Matt Grimes, is very much the orchestrator. A lot of their play, he'll be the one that will drop deep and, and get on the ball and encourage them to play the old Swansea way. So, no, it's taken everyone by surprise and no one more so in that 11 than Baston, who, of course, has been on loan the last couple of years and he seems to be a really good focal point for him. Yeah, could he be their pookie? I wonder. Stranger things have happened. I, I, I did say on the show at the end of last season when I saw Swans in the flesh I saw a bit of Norwich in them in terms of they're so comfortable in the style of play and I don't think Cooper's really changed changed the style of play too much so it, they got a lovely blend of sort of hungry young players with with a little bit of experience sprinkled in there you know the back is a good example Van der Horn strong guy experience alongside him Rodon who's, who's come in and they've formed a, a cracking partnership you've got Roberts at, at fullback as well that's that's a player with loads of potential so I, I didn't think they'd do a Norwich because they'd lost their best players and their manager but I get that feeling that they're capable of sticking around I think I said it on last week's show that I, I like what I see from from Swansea City. And I, I give them a chance, actually, in this game because they've got quality in the wide areas. And, that, and that's where Leeds are weak, if you can get at them, because Alioski and Dallas are, are, are very offensive players, aren't they? You want to drag those centre-halves out wide, whip balls into the box, and that's where I think, you know, Ayu and, and Baston could could profit. So I give I give Swansea a chance. I'm not saying they're going to go there and win, but I give them a chance. Interesting. The, the ownership there has come, come in for a lot of stick, much of it justified over the last few years, but whoever picks the head coaches is, is doing a pretty decent job by and large. Now, if you've listened to this podcast before, you might be aware that I support Nottingham Forest. Uh, if you think I beat you over the head with that when we're not winning, can you imagine how insufferable I'm about to be? I'll try and compose myself, but uh, my boy's certainly worth a mention this week because I've had a great seven days. Sam and I were at the Valley last Wednesday to see them dominate for five minutes in the second <laughs> half. Uh, they followed that up with a win at Fulham, enjoying a whopping 20 3% possession, most of which came while scoring the greatest goal the division has ever seen. Jenkinson down the line to Lolly. Lolly plays a first time 1-2 with Sal, wriggles away from a couple of challenges, then plays a 1-2 with Silva, and then a lovely ball out to the left-hand side for Robinson yep. to drive over the cross, and Lewis Graben tucks in at the back post. Colin Frey and Steve Hodge of BBC Radio Nottingham there. Mr Frey, very much my mentor as a commentator. Michael Dawson seems to be doing something similar on the pitch with Joe Worrell. Uh, Sam, mentors in football is a thing, right? You you had one at Swindon. Yeah, unknown to me at the time, really. But I think Tommy Mooney was essentially brought into the club to to be a little bit of a mentor towards me. Um, and we had a, a really fruitful partnership that season. We didn't always get on, I would say, because I probably had that, like we've just been talking about, that hunger to be the, the top goal scorer and the top man. But I learned a hell of a lot from him. I learned the dark arts from him, probably, and how to how to essentially play as a number nine in the lower divisions, you know, more the little bits of movement that I've just been talking about Bamford, how to get the team up the pitch, how to win free kicks and stuff like that, stuff that I was probably a little bit naive to, being a, a lad out of Chelsea and wanting to get the ball to feet and link the play and drop a shoulder. Tommy was fantastic for me. And, and later on, I had Paul Furlong as well, Paul Pesca-Salido. Even though I was a little bit more senior by then, coming towards the end of my 20s, I was really fortunate to play with some brilliant guys. And, and Furlong is someone that I probably learned a lot from and, and the way to conduct myself around the younger players uh, in terms of the advice that I gave them when I was coming towards the end. 
Yeah, I think it's all about the, having the right character to be the mentor because some footballers and a lot of strikers are quite selfish, aren't they? Mm. And they'd only be really interested in themselves even if they were getting towards the, the end of their careers. If you've got the right character, they can be a godsend for, for someone coming through. Centre-halves, I think there's been a long, long tradition of centre-half partnerships being built on the old guy and the, and the young fledgling. I'll look after you some because it's in everyone's interest for it to, for it to click, isn't it? And I definitely see that with Dawson and, and Worrell there. Um, I cast my mind back to, to Arsenal. Adams, when he came through, he had David O'Leary. A little bit later on, Colo Toure was so green when he first got to Arsenal. He had Sol Campbell to 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 look after him. It's it's a thing, definitely. And I, and I like Warrell. I think it, I think that loan spell at Rangers did him good, and and he's a, he's had a terrific start to the season. There's a lot to like about Forest at the moment. These new signings, you have to say, a lot of them are, are looking mustard, aren't they? Semedo, I think has been has been great. Adoma, I don't think you can go wrong. I think that was a good pickup from Forrest. So, so no fair play. We all we all thought Sabri Lamushi, like what's that all about? But so far, so good. Yeah, eight changes for Forrest against Derby last night. Uh, Ten from Derby. Uh, does that then mean that Forrest have got some strength and depth about them this season, which they haven't got had? Two training grounds, haven't they? They should do. Have they? Half of them are getting changed over the road, aren't they? <laughs> In a different building. Yeah, the players who are not involved yeah. with the first team because he inherited a, a, a massively bloated squad. Yeah, yeah, that is that is true. But yeah, um, <laughs> stop it, Sam. Just, yeah, just let me have this I'm point. only winding you up, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so Forrester are hosting Preston this weekend. Preston, who beat Hull on penalties in, in the Cup uh, last night. They're, they're pretty good at home. They're not so great away. Full disclosure, I am absolutely terrified of Alex Neal. I feel like if we ever met, he'd misconstrue something I said and just rip me to shreds immediately. You should have tried playing against him. He was very <laughs> tough tackling Glaswegian in the middle of the puck. Uh, who, was the, who was the scariest manager that you played for? I can't think of anyone who used Sca- to scare me. Scary managers aren't always scary. <laughs> like behind the scenes, you've got to have charm. You can't have a character, any kind of personality in the workplace, wherever you are. If someone is just scary all the time, they're not going to get the desired results, are they? So, so there'll definitely be a softer side. I'm, I'm sure he gets on very well with the, with the lads, but it's knowing that you can't take liberties with a guy like Alex Neal. I think that extracts a lot out of the team. What I like about Preston is their long-term vision. I think... what. Well, what they've been busy doing since he took over is recruiting young, hungry players that are probably not at their peak. But now it feels like they're all coming to fruition together, if you know what I mean. Like they're 23, 24, 25. They've got their championship experience now. And I think they're ready to, to compete in the top half of the division. They're still young. They still need to be a bit tougher, a bit more robust on the road. But, but yeah, they're, um, they're a team on the up, I think, Preston. That said... I would back Forrest to beat them. Uh, Joe, let's get some odds on the games we've been talking about. Uh, Clarky fancy Swansea maybe to get something at Leeds. What, what would you give me uh, on them winning at Ellen Road? They're quite a long price. 9-2 to two to get the win. Leeds odds on at 1-2 and the draw 16-5. to five. And how about the world's greatest football team against Preston? Nottingham Forest, just a shade above evens to win this one, six to five. Preston five to two, a little shorter than I would have thought. Um, and the draw eleven to five. Last year we were tipping Stoke for promotion. We're particularly flaky. What can you give me on them getting relegated? <laughs> They're still quite a big price, Stoke, uh, to get relegated, but a hell of a lot shorter than they've ever been before. Five to one, which puts them uh, at the same price as Reading, and it makes them joint tenth favourites. So that's the championship reviewed and previewed. What say we do something similar for League One in a jiffy? 
Listeners, club statement time. Only joking. But I am here to inform you about our new website, thetotallyfootballshow.com. It's very good and is the place to go for the best of the podcasts, as well as some fine original features. For example, this week, Nick Miller explains why you shouldn't be surprised if Watford sacked Javi Gracia after only three games. Our EFL column warns everyone that what happened at Bury could happen to your club. Plus, we have the first interview with Lee Catamol since he signed for VVV Venlo in the Netherlands, and it's VVV good too. That's the totallyfootballshow.com. Go there today. League One headlines that aren't related to the total mismanagement of football clubs on every conceivable level by all associated parties. Six teams remain unbeaten and five on 11 points after five matches with Ipswich topping the table thanks to their five against Bolton's boys. Symmetrically, there are six teams without a win yet, although that includes Bury. Southend are one of those teams who, despite being 3-1 up, couldn't win against Wickham, prompting Wanderers boss Gareth Ainsworth to say... The Wickham Wanderers, come on. Take that, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, And James Norwood's tribute to the world's greatest wrestlers continues, prompting a wonderful exchange between the striker and The Rock on Twitter. If you smell what The Rock is cooking. You might know The Rock better as Dwayne Johnson. Me and Mr. Norwood know him as the trailblazing, eyebrow-raising, jabroni-beaten, pie-eating, heart-stopping, elbow-dropping, people's jam, The Rock. Excuse me. In other Ipswich news, Harry Wright is their under-23 keeper these days. He's the son of former town custodian Richard. Harry is father to a one-month-old daughter, meaning Richard Wright is a grandfather. Good Lord, I feel old. Right, let's have a quick word on how good Abby was at choosing matches last week. Wickham 4, South End 3. Uh, Clarky, we spoke about Kevin Bond and, and his struggles last week. When they were 3-1, did you think, uh, oh, excellent, it's all turning around? No, you think, nah. don't be silly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I've, I've been in struggling teams. I was in a struggling team at Southend United, and, and that's the problem. Sometimes, even when you are winning, you're looking over your shoulder, you think you're so desperate for it, yet because confidence is brittle, you can't ever feel that, that secure. And I think that's what happened there. Wickham got themselves back to 3-2 and then then just panic set in and and Wickham are, are a good side when when momentum is with them they've got a lot lot of um lot of resilience and character but but they're all over the place at the moment south end even in the in the Carabao cup lost 4-1 at home to to MK Dons another four goals leaked what are they doing what, what are they doing on the training ground you, I've played in teams that have had leaky defenses but once you've taken a hammering you can almost guarantee that so much work will we be done on the training ground that the next week, no matter what happens, that that is not replicated. It doesn't appear to be the case though at the moment. It's uh, it's a bit of a mess. In terms of that Wickham game, Sam, is it almost more psychologically damaging for those South End players to have lost in the way they did than say if they'd just been beaten four 0 Yeah, it probably is actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, given the circumstances, far too easy. The last couple of goals, and we spoke about the firepower that Wickham have got in their armoury and. We didn't even mention Kashkat, who came in and scored twice, I think, and was instrumental in everything they did. So, no, Wickham are going to score goals going forward, but Southend will be so disappointed having got themselves in that position. Be a positive that they've started scoring, because I thought that was clearly one of the areas that we we highlighted. We didn't need too much intelligence to point up the, the top of the pitch, and obviously defensively they've been all over the place. But to score three goals, some positives, but... To lose in that fashion to MK Dons last night after they were on the back of a 4-0 home defeat by Peterborough, 
it stacks up, doesn't it? The problems. Yeah, the mood it couldn't be lower right now. I, I yeah, I, I think the end might be near for Kevin Bond. I don't like to say that, but it feels like a change is required. If we have a look at a couple of the weekend's games, Blackpool versus Portsmouth is one that, that catches the eye. Phil Collins might be taking an interest in events at Bloomfield Road because if Pompey lose, it might be a case of no jacket required. Is, is that a little bit harsh? They go into the weekend 16th. They got four points from four. Mm. They spent decent money on John Marquis, etc. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Tale of two managers, really. Grayson, obviously, flavour of the month there. Rightly so. I don't think they've had great tests yet. I think this is the first big test for Blackpool. They stopped Rochdale playing um, last time out, only got a nil-nil, but they're getting a good reputation under Brian Barry Murphy of playing good stuff. So Blackpool were able to stop that and they're missing Delfonso, uh, who's been very important alongside Nanjale and Kai Kai. So he could be back in the reckoning for that one. And Kenny Jackett, lots of criticism about... The substitutions against Coventry during that 3-3 when they were 3-1 up and Coventry were 10 men and then subsequently 9 men. I think he went a little bit defensive and kind of rested on his laurels when really not you want to necessarily go after more and more goals. But I think the supporters are getting a little bit tired with his somewhat negative setup. Do, do, do you think that he's overloaded in the attacking areas of the pitch with talent and players and options. Well, yeah, they... at the back, it doesn't... I don't I don't see a lot of defensive players, even, considering he's quite a cautious manager by nature, Kenny Jacket. Yeah. It just oh. feels like he's, he, he, he's not got enough depth in defensive players. Well, they lost their best defender, haven't they, Clark? And Watmore's been out as well. So mm. I think Downing's been coming in for a little bit of criticism, but if you could get Watmore back to play alongside Burgess, that could solve that to a degree but yeah the midfield players I suppose close can do a little bit of everything I think McCrory's coming from Rangers and he seems to be getting pretty good reviews so I'd imagine he'll start Marquis getting his first goal is big uh, moving forward but yeah Kenny seems to be under pressure for different reasons to Kevin Bond but something might have to give. Yeah, well impressed by Blackpool. But I think you're absolutely right to identify their fixtures so far. That, that's why the start of the season can be a bit bit misleading. They've, they've not had the toughest run of games, Blackpool. But I think Rochdale are OK this season. There, there's something about them. And by all accounts, they were super comfortable away at Rochdale, which in itself tells me that they're, that, that they're pretty solid. They've recruited a, a new left back to replace Boller, uh, Callum McDonald this week. Ben Hennigan's back as well uh, to play centre half. He was there last year, so so we, we know we've talked about the front players. They're, they're they're sharp, they're lively. He's sorting out the defence. So yeah, I think there's that they're going to be hard to beat in this game and during the course of the season. Blackpool. Yeah, it'd be a cracking atmosphere too. They've had crowds of more than eleven and nine thousand in their two home games so far, and we know that even though it's a really long trip, Pompey always travel in good numbers. Lincoln v Fleetwood is another game I want to talk about uh, over at Sinsel Bank. That baffling air raid siren uh, will be going off. Adrian, say something about Lincoln that doesn't involve linking their manager with another club. <laughs> uh, well, they've had two defeats on the spin, so you know, sack Cowley, hey, get rid of him. <laughs> no. It's been, a, 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 I guess, a, a wake-up call this week. They've played well, but lost a couple of tough games. So so this has turned into a bit of a biggie for them. Um, but we know that they're strong. Strong on home turf. They've got the Everton game, haven't they, tonight? So we don't know how they'll how they fare in that one. But no, no, I, I'm not worried about Lincoln. I, I think that they are going to be competitive. 
no no massive negatives for me. I, I just think they've missed chances across the last couple of games, and that's the only the only issue to address. We we've already had a bit of BBC commentary, haven't we, today on the show? Yeah. Um, I quite like listening to the Lincoln coverage on BBC Lincolnshire, but they are so partisan; it's unbelievable. <laughs> so it's incredible how biased they are. Why do you listen to BBC Lincoln? No, I just quite like listening to Cowley after the matches. Oh, okay. You know, when I'm researching for my jobs, you know, my paid jobs, Adrian. <laughs> yeah, um, above and beyond. <laughs> I, and Cowley was in, they're, they're, they're ridiculous. You should listen to it. They do a little podcast as well where he uh, manages an interview. Anyway, he was. Very honest about the concern of potentially being nearly men this season. He doesn't want to be having that label, playing well and, and not getting the points that the performances deserve. So he spoke about that, but was also very honest about just mi- missing athleticism in the centre of the park. So he might have to uh, appease a few of his players who played at the weekend. But I think <laughs> he's talking about Frecklington and, and Pet, who are the two out. In, in the midfield and Morrell's been playing in there from Bristol City who just had his call up uh, to Wales but yeah I think they're missing a couple of players and the goal that led to Doncaster's victory was Payne trying to play out of his own 18-yard box and we've been giving them loads of praise about playing slightly more football not in your own 18-yard box I would suggest with the game on a knife edge so that's something they need to never thought I'd say this I'd have to discourage Lincoln from playing too much football <laughs> uh, As for Fleetwoods big win for them against Accrington last week after three without in League and Cup are they mid-table fodder again this season can they go any higher? No I think they can get a bit higher than that actually yeah I like the the signings that Joey Barton made in the summer he's got a lot of experience I'd pick out Paul Coots Matt Jilks Josh Morris they'd probably be the pick but there are others of course brought Chad Evans back in and they've they've got goal scorers and I think if you've got goal scorers like Evans and Paddy Madden and then behind them you're you've got that fight and organization and structure then you're going to be in the top half of the table so no I would I would I would anticipate Fleetwood knocking on the door for playoffs just as they did for for a lot of last year Joe, odds-wise, uh, William Hill, League One, Lincoln versus Fleetwood. Uh, are you thinking home victory? Yeah, uh, Lincoln are favourites. Uh, odds against, uh, surprisingly, five to four to win the match. Fleetwood two to one. The draw five to two. How about Blackpool against Pompey? Blackpool two to one. Portsmouth seven to five. Uh, so Portsmouth favourites and the draw twenty-three to ten. And what about Southend getting a win against a Rochdale side we like the look of? Well, Southend are coming up to two to one. They're seventeen to ten to get the win. Rochdale six to four favourites, and the draw twelve to five. Right, League One checks. What say we meet in League Two momentarily? On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football League Show from Muddy Knees Media. In League Two then, where anything can happen except goals for Stevenage. Five games, no goals for Borough. I blame that Burger King sponsorship they have. I guess whenever they do find the net, it'll be a whopper. Whee! <laughs> Exeter and Newport remain the only teams yet to lose in the fourth tier, with the latter enjoying four consecutive clean sheets since their 2-2 draw with Mansfield on opening day. And Paul Hurst's first win for Scunthorpe is yet to come with their latest loss coming to Macclesfield, who are riding that new manager bounce nicely. Uh, in terms of Saturday's action, Walsall against Grimsby. Uh, Grimsby walloped Port Vale last week, and then they only played a half of football against Macclesfield uh, before the heavens opened, and that game was abandoned at half time in the Cup. 
Are there signs, though, Clarkie, that Michael Jolly is beginning to make his mark? It was a quite difficult season for him last time round. Might be a bit better this I time. I think they're looking better, yeah. Yeah, they've got a bit, they seem like they've got more firepower. Obviously, it's easy to say that after just won 5 2 against Port Vale. But I think it was interesting that, that a load of his new signings scored. No, they've got a nice nice blend there, haven't they, up top? Hansen is a, is a tried and trusted, isn't he? You know what you're going to get with him. Stick the ball in the box. He, he'll. He'll, he'll win his head. Is Moses Ogbu, obviously powerful guy coming from Swedish football. No, that, I, I didn't fancy Grimsby to to have a great season, but but there's a little bit of dynamism about their play. They they look great going forward at the moment. So uh, yeah, this is going to be a test for a Walsall team that are short of goals. There's a little bit of pressure beginning to build on on Daryl Clark. So um, yeah, I, w- I would back Grimsby to go to go to the best got and uh, and at, le- at least score one. Can Walsall, you know, get enough to win the win the game? Because they kind of need it. Your old club, Sam, Walsall, it's not been a, a great start for the new boss. No, it's not. But he's got a proven track record of sorting out clubs in this kind of uh, state. Only the two goals they've scored. And when you look at the personnel they had last year, Clarkie's mate, Andy Cook, Ferrier, Ismail, and they've got Adebayo, who I saw... He was a young kid at Fulham, was at Swindon on loan last season. He's not going to be a a regular goal scorer, in my mind. They've got another loanee from Bristol City, Rory Holden, and Caelan Laffery, who did score a couple in the League Cup. But he's not. I wouldn't put him down as a predator, Caelan Laffery. I saw him years ago at Southend on loan, and he he was a winger. So I I don't think he's a a natural um, to, to score the goals for them. Yeah, and it's 270 minutes now they haven't scored for, so that's the, the clear problem. But you need to give Daryl Clark a bit of time. I think they're playing a 3-5-2 at the moment, and my understanding is the wing-backs aren't really contributing too much offensively, so I think that's a little bit of an issue in terms of creating chances as well. But no, I, I like Daryl Clark. It's a huge rebuild, and I would anticipate with everything that's gone on at Walsall off the pitch, I remember speaking about it at length last season, there'll be realistic enough to give him a little bit of time. Scunthorpe versus Carlisle is the next game I want to have a, a look at. Um, Sam, some teams have a really difficult time readjusting to life in a new division. In Scunthorpe's case, is, is that because they've got a new man in charge? Is it because they're used to losing games? Bit of both? Something else? I think so. I think you can, you can say that it's a portion of both of those things definitely I think it's hard to just switch it off when there's been players in that squad that have been used to losing every week Um, it's a new manager new ideas again the strikers is an issue I know it seems quite simplistic but Van Veen Novak injured now Carl Wooten coming in for loads of flat the other day just the one goal from a forward so far this season. So it's clear where they're struggling and he's fallen out with Adam Hamill as well (laughs) in the last few days who obviously is the more of a supplier and that looks like he's going to have to move on. So he ruffled a few feathers at Ipswich, didn't he, Paul Hurst? Let's not pretend that he didn't fall out with a few. Um, That seems to have happened again. I don't know what Hamill's attitude's been like around the place. It sounds like there's been a few misdemeanours, but yeah, all isn't great there. And it's a a huge game against the Carlisle side where there's also been an enormous rebuild. So two managers with decent pedigrees, Desperate, I think, to not have a season where they're battling relegation. And there's a player, Olamola, actually, who's on loan at, at Carlisle from Scunthorpe, who's actually been very good mm. in front of goal. So I'm not entirely sure. Sorry, Adrian, on this. I should have listened to BBC Cumbria. I'm not sure if he can play at the weekend. <laughs> um, in terms of Carlisle, Adrian, their 
problem. Maybe the opposite of Scunthorpe. They, they concede too many goals to each in, in each of their last four league games. And, and they've kind of been inconsistent ever since Stephen Presley's taken charge. Every time it looks like he's getting a bit of momentum, it goes. Yeah, again. and you look at some of the chances they, they create and you think this, there's a real team there. Yeah, you've got uh, how's it, Hallam Hope. Nathan Thomas has is, is, is started the season brilliantly down the right-hand side. Um, he's been on fire. Some of the, some of the ammunition that he's put into the box. I, I, yeah, I'm not worried about them scoring goals. It's at the back. He's got experience, hasn't he, Presley? Obviously a former centre-half himself. He's got, got two older guys, Webster, Knight, Percival, I think, of the, of the partnership there. And the obvious thing to say when you've got an older pairing is, do they lack a bit of pace, a bit of mobility? And and when you when you see some of the goals that they've they've shipped, you'd suggest so. So it's probably a good fixture for Carlo United coming up against sort of goal shy Scunthorpe. Big yeah, big pressure on both managers on, on Hurst. Just wonder, don't you, whether how much that scarred him that experience at Ipswich? I'm not saying he's lost his mojo, but it can happen, can't it? Where you have a bad experience and it knocks you, and then you you change. And maybe try and do things, you know, maybe copy other, what other managers have done in the past. What's not really you. And I just worry, worry about that. He needs to stay calm, as do his, his board at the moment. Yeah, Mojo not lost, but certainly uh, misplaced. Uh, worth a mention that as a result of everything that's happening with Berry, only one team from League Two will be relegated at the end of the season. Scunthorpe currently occupy that spot, but it's early days. Joe, have you got any odds on, on League Two? relegation that must affect things quite significantly yeah uh, so every team has drifted the 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 prices there's a bit more value knocking about now but Morecambe are the favorites to go down they're three to one Oldham nine to two Macclesfield nine to two Stevenage four to one in terms of those games that we talked about on Saturday uh, Walsall versus Grimsby away win a potential there well, you guys have talked up the away win, but we've priced it up as uh, Walsall favourites five to four, Grimsby twenty three to ten, and the draw nine to four. And how about Scunthorpe, Carlisle? Scunthorpe twenty seven to twenty, Carlisle two to one, the draw twenty three to ten. That's about it for this week, uh, Sam. Where are you in the wide wide world of sport this weekend? I am at Cardiff Fulham on Friday. Then I'm uh, on the telly Saturday. <laughs> uh, Clark, you'll be on the wireless at the weekend. Uh, I'll be on the wireless for sure. Yeah, not going to go to a game this weekend, so I'll just watch it from afar. Thanks as ever for your company, chaps, and you too, listener. Same time next week, it's a date. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter, and make sure you check out our brand new website too thetotallyfootballshow.com. <laughs>